Pass is intercepted by Bobby Wagner. Only the quarterback to defend. Bobby Wagner with a touchdown. Football fans are used to seeing the Seahawks' Bobby Wagner doing exceptional things on the field. But now, he's setting his sights on succeeding off the field as a venture capitalist with Seattle-based Fuse Venture Partners. Kind of the main focus that we have at Fuse is kind of wanting to have the founders that come from Seattle, the companies that come from Seattle, um, know that they have the income and they have the people that will back them um, to support their business. So I think that's kind of where I'm at. Welcome to another edition of 2025 Tomorrow Today. I'm GeekWire co-founder, John Cook. And I'm Jordan Voss, Senior Vice President with Northern Trust. In this edition of the podcast, we're continuing our conversations with prominent investors about unique areas and opportunities of particular interest to them. We couldn't be more thrilled about today's guest. Bobby Wagner is considered the best linebacker in the NFL. He's a Super Bowl champion and all pro who's earned acclaim for his shrewd business moves as an angel investor and now a VC. Wagner famously renegotiated his own contract with the Seahawks a couple years ago without an agent making him the highest paid linebacker in the game at the time. And Forbes selected him for its 30 under 30 list for several prominent investments. While Wagner is still at the top of his game, he's taken on a new challenge, joining a group of notable business leaders, including former Microsoft CFO, John Connors, to create a new Seattle area venture capital firm, Fuse Venture Partners. And so we're super excited to have Bobby Wagner here with us on the podcast today. Welcome, Bobby. Appreciate it, man. Excited to be talking to you guys. Absolutely. So we are diving into various topics with venture capitalists, and I don't think people maybe have a, a sense of what you like to invest in. So could you maybe just kind of frame the areas of investment that uh, that you're looking at here as part of Fuse? Um, I think like what I'm looking at and kind of like what Fuse is, you know, what we kind of center around Fuse is a little bit different. Um, you know, I think you know, Fuse is, is centered around a lot of enterprise software. And, you know, I think what we're trying to do is kind of change the the mindset of, you know, Seattle founders and Seattle companies. I think for a long time, um, I think there's kind of like this myth that you have to go to Silicon Valley to get your, your business funded. And so I think that's kind of the main focus that we have at Fuse is kind of wanting to have the founders that come from Seattle, the companies that come from Seattle, um, know that they have um, the income and they have the people that will back them um, to support their business. So I think that's kind of where I'm at when it comes to Fuse. But as far as like myself, um, I like to invest in things that I use and things that I am passionate about. Um, and that kind of varies. It can be consumer products. It can be something that um, I can use um, from uh, working out. You know, I think I'm really excited about a company called Tonal. I'm really excited about where Theragun is going. And so, you know, those type of companies that I can use and, and something that can help me play the game a little bit longer or um, something, uh, whether it's food products or anything like that, I think those are the type of things that I, I get excited about because it kind of helps me, uh, you know, play a little longer. Yeah, always looking for an edge. Well, I certainly want to dive into some of those uh, those products and offerings and kind of how you see those markets evolving. But before I get in there, it seems like your your concept here with trying to keep Seattle founders in Seattle seems like the rivalry with the 
49ers goes really deep here that, you know, you don't even want our talent, our tech talent flowing down to the Bay area to get money. Yeah, man, stay we, don't, we don't want, we want, we don't want nothing to do with the Bay area, man. Nah. I mean, I like, I like the Bay. The Bay is good. Um, you know, obviously everything that's been built in Silicon Valley is, is something that I think a lot of places are, are trying to mimic and rightfully so there's been a lot of, of amazing companies that come out of there, but um, you know, the, the companies that come out of Seattle should stay, you know, home and be funded by their, their home. So, you know, we're going to take a little bit of the founders that have worked their way to Silicon Valley and, and bring them back. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we do want to dive into some of the areas that, that you're interested in investing in, but since you're relatively new to the, to the venture game and Fuse Venture Partners is a, is a newly formed firm, I think people would love to just kind of hear your own personal journey on how you got to be interested in, in venture capital. Yeah, so uh, when I got into the league um, in 2012, um, I think it all just started about me looking around and, and seeing um, there was a story that came out like right before I came into the league. Now, I don't know, you know, how true these numbers are now, um, now that I've been in the league for a while, but there was an article that came out that said about 80% of the, of the NFL players ended up broke and divorced two years after, outside of the league after they retire or, you know, leave the league. And so um, that stat was really alarming to me because I couldn't understand, you know, how uh, guys work so hard um, to get to this position to make the money that they're making and then lose it all and walk away with nothing, especially, you know, being our sport. Our sport is like a really dangerous sport. And so um, you want to make sure that you walk away with, you know, what you worked hard for. And so I think that put me in a, a position to where, um, I started even at an early age trying to figure out what was um, life after football going to look like for me. And so um, I started to first I started learning my own finances. Um, I started taking financial classes and um, things of that nature. And then I think that kind of progressed into trying to figure out what what internships that I can get involved in, uh, what companies out here in Seattle I can get involved in and learn. And I think that transition um, to me, um, getting introduced to a guy named John Connors and um, starting forming a relationship with him. And I told him about um, that I invested in a company. And, you know, and I, I didn't, when I, I think I was like 21, when I was 21, 22, when I, I um, invested into a company and I didn't even know the term, you know, angel investor. I had no idea what that term was. Um, I was just, considering myself an investor. And so, I mean, once I found out that term, I started using it more because it's a cool term. So, um, you know, so I told him that, you know, I invested into a company and then he um, explained to me that uh, I should come down and check out what they got going down at commission. And, you know, from that point forward, I just really started got, getting introduced into that whole venture capital world. Um, I went down to uh, Silicon Valley, speaking of, and, you know, I, I um, went to different VC firms out there, just kind of um, not really insert, but just kind of see what they had going on. I, I uh, went to different companies that were starting up um, and got to see some of these big time companies um, that are, are big, big now. But, I, you know, I got to see Instacart before it, it blew up. Um, you know, I wish I would have the foresight to be able to invest in it. But um so I started seeing that and then um, John really started seeing how, how much I was really trying to learn and really trying to 
um, I kind of get involved in the space. And he told me I should come down and intern at, at their spot, you know, at Ignition. And so I went down and interned there. That's where I met Kellen and Cam. And then um, uh, we started, I started kind of venturing off into wanting to do my own things in a lot of areas in my life. And one of those things was negotiating my own contract. And after I did that, the synergy just came together where, you know, John kind of thought it would be a good idea to, to partner up with, with Kellen and Cam and, you know, really build this VC area in Seattle up. And that's kind of how I got involved with, with Fuse and well, just been taken off from there. Yeah. Before I hand it over to Jordan here, I got to ask, is it, is it tougher to negotiate with a, with the, with your bosses in the, in the Seahawks or with an entrepreneur? Um, probably, probably Seahawks. Cause, um, <laughs> you know, like some of the entrepreneurs are just meeting for the first time. So if they say something that is whatever, you, you kind of don't really care, but you know, your bosses have to tell you what they don't think you're good at on the football field and, and you have to keep your emotions out of it. So that, that's probably the, that's probably the hardest thing. And did you learn anything from that experience of negotiating your own contract that you've applied to the VC world? Um, I, I think the biggest thing that I learned and that was, and I was, you know, I spent a lot of time um, talking and meeting different people, um, different, you know, I met with a lot of owners of teams. I met with a lot of executives, um, you know, throughout the whole, um, throughout whole Seattle and I really want to understand not just from a football perspective negotiation but how they look at it and so I think in learning like listening to those guys and learning that even like the, the two comparisons that I can make to both sides would be like understanding your value and I think that was the the biggest thing that um, when players did do their own contract they had like this crazy value that they put on themselves like you know like imagine if I came in to the building and, and I wanted as much as Russell Wilson like that's you know they would probably you know shut the door in my face and so I think that kind of um, goes back to you know even like a company a company can be an amazing company but they can set their valuation of their company so high to where they price themselves out and so I think that was the biggest thing that I learned is understanding what my value was what my market was and trying to make sure that I got the most value that I, I felt that I deserved, but understanding the market as well. Yeah. And I guess it's that self-awareness of knowing where you fit in the market. And I guess that's a, that's a good tip and lesson for entrepreneurs is, you know, don't come in and ask for a $10 billion uh, valuation out of the gate, kind of got to know where you stack up and, and the whole, whole system. So, yeah. And you got to have the information to back it up, you know, just like they, I could, you know, come in and if I have zero tackles, like I'm not going to ask for the most <laughs> money ever, you know, like if a company that like you can't come in and value your company at $10 billion, if you don't have no sales and you don't have anything to, to justify why your company is worth that much. So um, that was, that was the biggest thing that I learned. And that was something that I really could connect the two dots with those different worlds. Well, it worked out well because you got, I think, the largest contract for a linebacker in NFL history, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, it worked out. It worked out pretty good. You know, I got paid pretty handsomely. So yes, and and no <laughs> uh, fee take, to an agent either. <laughs> no fee to agent. I get to keep that to myself and spend it on whatever I feel like. It. More startups. I know. Maybe I invest in more. 
Well, I mean, do you think that will be increasing? I saw, you know, you have Russell Okung negotiating with the Broncos for even his salary to be paid in Bitcoin, for, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think this is something that will increase? It seems like there are trailblazers like you and Russell right now, um, Richard, Sherman, of course, yeah. who, who are paving the way for this to be much more mainstream. Uh, yeah. Do you think the resources are out there? I, I heard you talk about um, with Mike Katz on his podcast about how humble you had to be and how many questions you had to ask to get to a place where you felt comfortable. Is mm-hmm. it getting to a place where it can be more mainstream now? I don't know. I think it's going to take a while before it becomes mainstream because I think um, you really have to want to do this. Like, it's not something that a guy can wake up tomorrow and be like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to negotiate my contract. You can't just do that. Like, you have to put in the work. It's just like the football field. Like, you got to really take the time to study. You got to study the market. You got to study um, the contracts because, you know, say if I was a free agent, like, um, this, the way Seahawks deals is different than the way 49ers do deals. And the way the 49ers do deals is different in the way that the New York Giants do deals. And so if you don't understand the way that certain teams structure their deals, you can go in again and ask for something that historically the team that you're asking it from just doesn't give. And so I, I don't I, I don't know if it's going to be a thing. I think what will be a thing is I think guys will be more conscious and aware of their business. So the, the conversation with the agent was going to be a little bit different than it used to be. They're gonna understand what's in their contract and be able to ask, why did you put that in my contract? I think they'll be able to have those conversations. And I think there will be more guys that that want to do it themselves. Um, but I also think they'll be uh, just a smarter athlete and they'll know their value. And you know maybe the percentage that you give to an agent will be different, maybe the Maybe you have an agent and the player sitting at the table together versus just the agent. Um, I think that's going to look different. Um, but I don't know if everybody cares or everybody wants to put in that effort to do it themselves. The, the interesting analogy there, as I was hearing you talk and hearing like each team has their different structure. I, I mean, pulling this back into the venture capital startup realm. I mean, I see a lot of parallels there too, because for the entrepreneurs out there, you got to know the VC you're pitching too. Like, are mm-hmm. you pitching a seed stage VC? Are you pitching a VC that specializes in AI or SaaS and like knowing, yeah. knowing those things before you go in. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs get tripped up because they just do the shotgun approach out there and they haven't done the research on what that exact firm needs. So I, I yeah. think you, the lessons you're getting there are through the, through the contract negotiation yeah. certainly, certainly apply. Yeah, um, you can even say resources too. Like, you know, you can have a, a big name venture capitalist firm, but maybe the 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 company that you're building, you know, their resources their resources don't benefit your company. Maybe a different company's uh, resources helps grow your business a little bit faster. So again, that's kind of like you said to the point where, you know, even like with football, like a lot of guys sign with a a, um, a big time agent with the name, but that agent might not. Uh, benefit them or benefit their career as best as someone that is, you know, has uh, history with building linebackers. And so it's the same thing with like venture capitalists. Like, you know, you can create a business and go to a company that doesn't specialize in your business and don't have that resources and it can hinder your business and you, you know, you realize it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so just switching gears, I'm, I'm curious 
about your personal investments that you've made, because you seem to have a, a bit of a thesis going, you said products that you love and that you mm-hmm. work with, but a lot of these tie into uh, physical fitness, uh, strength training, uh, health and wellness. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm curious if, as you see that, like looking out four or five years, how big of a trend do you think that's going to be? And not just for the professional athlete, but for the amateur athlete or the, you know, Joe Schmo who's putting on their running shoes, take a walk around yeah. the block. Like how big of a, a trend is this and how closely are you watching it? And where do you think there's opportunity in that uh, health, wellness, physical fitness space? Um, I think the the whole picture is is really interesting. I definitely think from the healthy side, you see a lot more companies are are going the healthier way. Uh, there, you have a lot more plant-based companies now. You have a lot more companies that, you know, um, are trying to focus on what certain food groups or things that can help the overall health of a person. I think, you know, people are paying attention to their health a lot more. Like if you go back 10 years, you know, a person could eat McDonald's probably four or five times in a week and not think anything of it. Like now you, you're not going to do that, especially have, there's too many healthy options out there. Were you gonna say? Yeah, have you, have you noticed that in your own pattern? Like looking back to when you came into the NFL to, to now in terms of that spectrum, I mean, with your own diet or own health and nutrition and how has that changed in that, in that period? Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 vastly different. Um, you know, when I first got into the league, I was, you know, I was in college, so I still had I still had the college diet. You know, the the, the hot pockets, the the chips, the pizza. You know, thinking that that was nourishing for my body. So that's that's definitely a not. You know, as you get older and and you realize, you know, what foods, you know, help. Um, you know, with inflammation and things like that, you you, you change your diet, and so I think that's what people, you know, a lot of people look and see like for. I think, you know, again, fast, like you go back 10 years, a lot of people looked at professional athletes and, you know, they, they kind of thought about, you know, what we do in our job. And they thought that, that was just the reason why, you know, they wanted to be, or we wanted to be healthy is to perform at our job, but it's just to have a, a long life and be able to play with your kids and things of that nature. So I think there's been a shift in the mindset from people um, as far as like healthy eating, but I also feel like there's a lot more options to eat healthier. And, you know, just as far as physical fitness, I think when you have COVID, when COVID happened um, and people weren't able to get to the gyms, you know, a lot of people had to figure out how to get their workouts in. And so now you have companies like Tonal, you have companies like those those at-home fitness um, companies that, um, that have allowed people to realize that some of the stuff that they can, that they used to have to go to uh, the gym and kind of waste like time you know, traveling back and forth, they can actually do at their home. So I think there's going to be a lot more um, home fitness um, spaces than um, people going to gyms. I think that might be a trend. Um, you know, I think a lot of the things that, you know, we do as professional athletes are also accessible to the everyday person. And so I think, you know, fitness is going to look really different. I think in about five years, I think there's going to be a lot more at home, uh, things and I think there's gonna be a lot more online things a lot of people you know think about a yoga class you used to feel like you had to go to to the yoga studio to get a yoga class in but now you know so many seminars so many YouTube channels that are offered that you just sign in and so 
I think that'll be a shift, but I think people still want to get out. People are still going to want to leave their home. So, you know, everything is a cycle. So I think there's going to be a cycle where, you know, people invest or have all these um, at home fitness, things of that nature. But then at some point you're going to get tired of being in the house and you're going to want that interaction that you used to have with people. And so I think you'll see, you know, people kind of come back out and, and, and work out or even go to the movies. Speaking of sports, I mean, why has sports been such a difficult market to crack for early stage companies? I mean, we had a promising company here, Vices, which, you know, I I know, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. it's been a it's been a tough go. Why do you think that is? And do you think that that will change in the future as well? Um, I think it's just there's so many different kinds of athletes. You know what I mean? You have soccer, you have football, you have baseball and then. Now that's one aspect. Now you have so many different age groups and trying to understand that age group. You know what I mean? Like you spoke on vices, um, you know, a company like that, it's like for, let's use a guy like myself, like an older guy who's been in the league for a while that you have this new helmet, but I've been wearing a helmet for 10 years. So for me, it's like, why, why switch now? And so you almost have to get to the, you know, the younger athletes to, to more so capture that demographic before you can capture the older group. And so, as you know now, like the attention span and everything of the younger group, they don't really care. So if you if you have vices and then they go and see their favorite athlete have this helmet, they'll quickly switch. And so I think it's just, um, you know, there's just so many different types of athletes that, that how we, like the trend and, and what we do on a day-to-day basis is always um, switching. So whatever company that you build has to be able to evolve and switch with that trend. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is, um, you know, some companies just have a hard time in keeping up with how fast the athlete switches, you know, its mindset. Even like you said, like with like eating, you know, my first five, my first five years in the league, I wasn't eating that healthy and then you switch. So imagine if you have a food company that's um, not the healthiest. And if I get to a point where I'm not eating healthy anymore or eating unhealthy, then if you don't add a healthy uh, menu, then I probably won't go to that spot anymore. So it's just trying to keep up with the athlete, I think is the biggest thing. Well, you had had talked about part of your journey into VC being around figuring out what you want to do after football. Now that you've founded a, a VC firm, um, is it something you could see doing for the long term? Yeah, I definitely feel like you can do it for the long term. And what I'm so excited about is, you know, football is, I think, one of the best sports. Why? Is because we, we, um, our season is pretty much six months. So we'll probably go from July to about uh, February, if you're lucky. And from February to about uh, the beginning of July, you really don't have much to do outside of working out. Now, unless you're the Hulk, you know, workouts is only going to take you about four hours at, at most, four hours a day. Um, and so that's still 20 hours that you have um, to do whatever you want. And so I think, you know, you're able to kind of master something else. And so I think that's kind of what have been my focus, but I think, um, you know, you have a, a passion, you know, I just have a passion in, in, in VC. I have a passion in investing. And I think there's so many 
um, similarities, you know, uh, to, to football. When you think about um, being a VC, investing in a company and help them build the company from the ground up, it's similar to how we do every single year. Like every single year, our team is different and we have to create a culture. We have to create, uh, we have to bring people together. We have to have a common goal and we have to go out and put out a product that hopefully, you know, results in a lot of good. And so I think that is very similar to, um, you know, companies. You have to go out, you have to, A, you have to make, have an idea. You have to uh, build a team around the idea. You have to set your goals and you have to go out there and execute those goals. And so that's very, you know, it's, it's really similar to the world that I'm already in, just a different kind of language, I guess. And so I think that's something that I'm looking forward to, you know, whenever I decide to hang it up, hopefully not too soon. How would you compare, you started as an angel. How mm -hmm. would you compare being an angel uh, to, to being a VC, much less founding a VC firm? You know, just the diligence involved and kind of being able to work on the things that are of personal interest. You know, some of the people listening are founders who have exited and are kind of wondering mm -hmm. about those two paths. Yeah. How do you respond to that? I think um, from from an angel an angel investor, you kind of just invest your money and then you kind of just let them do their thing. And you hopefully you're, you're more so investing in the idea and investing in the company. And you do that and you just kind of like, you know, there's there's some situations where you end up helping the company and, and doing things like that. But it's not really your job to do that, in my opinion. But as far as like, a, uh, you know, being a VC, you know, it's it's your job to help build that company and provide those resources and um, fill in the, the areas that the company needs help in. And so I would say those is the biggest, I say that is the biggest difference between being an angel investor and being involved in the venture capitalist. It's, it's more of a team thing from, you know, the different founders to, um, to the company that you invest in. You have to be a part of all of that process versus, you know, angel investor, I can invest in something, forget about it. And then when you sell, then I'm like, oh, okay, I was in that. You know what I mean? So I would say those, that was, that's the biggest difference that I would see in the, in the two different lanes. Bobby, are you seeing technologies or innovations in your daily life in the sporting world, uh, in, in football, that you think are going to become more mainstream and take root in the next few years? Um. I think so. Um, I don't know how it's going to uh, become mainstream, but I think, um, you know, from when I got into the league in 2012 till now, um, obviously when I got into the league, we were, still, we were still using like iPads, but it was like a really lesser version of kind of what we have now. You know, we used to have to, you know, get the, the tapes and um, have them send it. Now everything is airdropped to you and so from that standpoint is different but I think um there is something that we do is um and I know a lot of the teams are doing they're tracking players they're using different you know, they're collecting data on players to try to understand um how to a maximize um a player's talent and understand how the body works and so I don't know if that's going to transition into you know everyday living because i don't know um you know what you want to track somebody's who's sitting at a desk all day I, you know i don't know what you what data you could get uh with that you know what i mean but 
I think there is something with that, whether it's, you know, how focused a person can be. There could be data on that. Um, not saying that's something how we track, but we do track like output. Um, we track how much energy that you're um, putting out at practice and really trying to balance that. So you, you maximize, um, you know, what you're given on Sundays. And so I think maybe that's something that can come to the real world, but I just don't know how it would uh, coordinate just yet. But I mean, it's interesting. I don't know all the data that they have, but they have a lot of data on, you know, athletes, our movements during the week, the output that we give and what it takes to have consistent maximum effort every Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously there's a whole discussion and debate around who owns that data and who gets access exactly. to it, which is very exactly. interesting. I, I, I keep thinking of a company as you're talking here, like a Peloton, you know, I mean like Peloton's yeah. runaway success and the amount right. of data they're collecting on folks. And that gets into the trend you were talking about related to home fitness and mm -hmm. data and tracking. I think there could be more intersection there. And I'm curious whether that's a area that you think could see more investment opportunity in terms of data collection with personal health in the home. Yeah, definitely. I think you can, again, like depending on what type of data that you're pulling from, from um, even like somebody riding a bike all the time or the amount somebody's working out, things of that nature, like I'm pretty sure you can use that data to A, um, you know, create a different business based off that data, but you can also um, increase like, you know, health and fitness. What is a, what does a healthy person's day-to-day -day workout schedule look like? Based on the data that we've collected, this is what we feel you need to be doing to have the optimal health to live X amount of years that you want to live. So if you want to live to be 100, you know, based off the data that we've collected from somebody who exercises every single day, this is what you have to do. So maybe that's how they can use the data um, maybe that's how they can kind of use that. I don't know how necessarily how you create a business with that, but there's definitely, it'd be interesting to see all the data they collected and what data are they actually collecting? Because I know a lot of it is, is um, you know, output and, you know, riding the bikes. And again, you can see how they're connecting with um, different people across the, the world. You know, how many people tune into classes every single day, um, and, and who's making that transition from the guys that go around and ride bikes throughout the city to who wants to just stay at home and do that. And so again, um, you can, and I'm getting, you know, kind of crazy here, but you can, um, if you can get enough data to see who, who sits, uh, who's sitting in front of that screen every single day, why not provide a streaming service that instead of looking at the screen, you can watch a movie while riding a bike, you know, or watch a movie that just came out and ride a bike. Like, you know what I mean? Like what, what does those opportunities look like? So I, I think people can get creative with the data that they're using depending on what the data is. But again, it always comes down to at some point it's, does that person want to keep having that data get to you? You know what I mean? Cause I'm pretty sure you guys have all the, the, the Instagrams and, and Twitter. And the moments you look at something on Amazon, that sponsor for sure pops up uh, on Instagram. You know what I mean? So uh, I tend to try to turn that off. Yes. Those big tech Titans have a lot of data on all of yeah. us. So uh, yeah. Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, they, they are, they are in the business of collecting data. Um, yeah, they're watching. 
They're watching us. That's right. Bobby, before we go, I, I wanted to ask you, um, the venture capital community has has not done a good job over the last, um, f- since it was founded, really, of uh, being inclusive. And as an African-American man coming into the venture capital business, I'm wondering how you can make additional inroads and what you would advise for the industry to change so it does become more inclusive. Um, that's a great question. I think the first thing that I, I think about is um, opportunity. I think providing opportunity for um, minorities, people of color to be involved in a, in a space. You know, again, I, when I first got into the league, I had no idea what this space was. But, um, you know, after finding out what the space was, I took the time to try to understand, you know, uh, what I needed to know to be involved in that space. And then I got involved in the space. And so a lot of it is opportunity is giving someone an opportunity to intern, give someone an opportunity to kind of sit in on a board meeting, be around, um, be around the different companies that you're building and just give them access. But as far as like myself, it's passing that knowledge down. Every knowledge that I, all the knowledge that I get, all the access that I get, I try to pass that down and, you know, not, open the door and close it behind me, but open the door and see how many people that I can um, pull in with me and, you know, start showing the value of diversity, the value of having that different perspective than yours. If everybody in the room looks exactly like you, at some point you guys are going to have this same exact opinion, you know, but if you get a perspective or opinion from somebody who sees it from a different lens and only makes your company better, it only makes your venture capitalist better, um, your venture capitalist firm better, and it makes the world better because the products that you're building will not be centered around just one perspective. It will be, um, you know, from multi different perspectives. And, you know, I think those are the best companies that understand not just one um, perspective, but all. Great. Before we go, I've got one burning question for you. I really want you to answer. Okay. You're, you're a newly minted VC. So if you could have your choice of any teammate, NFL player, or sports figure who you'd want to back as an entrepreneur, who would it be and why? Um, did I just pick one or I could pick a couple? Well, you can pick a couple. Okay, I'm going to pick a couple. Um, I would say Richard Sherman. I would say Nadama Kasu. And I would probably say Russell Okun. Uh, I like all those guys. They do a really good job in in the investment world. They do a really good job in, you know, I, I love how when they believe in something, they go for it and they they put everything in behind them. It's not just they wake up and and do it. They um they they take the time, put the effort in. And they create the passion based off the information that they get. So those are guys that I would, I would back. It'd be Sherm, Sue, and uh, Okun. Awesome. Well, great. Well, Bobby Wagner, thank you so much for joining us here on 2025 Tomorrow Today. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Well, that was great. Just fascinating perspective from not only one of the best football players in the country, but a a person who's had some success in angel investing and now trying his magic in the venture capital world. So really interesting to hear his perspective. Jordan, what were your thoughts as he was talking about this intersection of 
health and nutrition and what are your initial thoughts there? I mean, it was also interesting. I The one you know most prominent thing that sticks out to me is how he compared venture capital investing and everything he's doing now um, entrepreneurially to football. You can just see how valuable it is to have that experience on the field and committing to uh, a team. Yeah. And the parallels I really got a lot out of was when he was talking about his contract negotiation and how similar that is to what you have to do as a venture capitalist when you're negotiating back and forth with a with an entrepreneur. And so I, I found that really interesting. I hadn't really drawn those two together, but I'm guessing it's a it's a great skill set for what he's going to be doing next with with his venture capital career in terms of negotiating and figuring out uh, the best deal for the entrepreneurs that he's working with. And I've heard him talk a little bit more about that process. And, you know, he, he talks about the, just the humility involved in asking everyone that you can get a hold of about how it works and what, you know, how did their process unfold and what are the points um, of contention and where are the points where things hinge and the, you know, kind of the, the highest points of leverage. And he really networked so much to put himself in position to get the best contract, as you pointed out in the, in the NFL and he backs it up on the field, but yeah, I, I thought it was an incredible lesson as it relates to him and VC, but it's also an incredible lesson just generally on someone of his stature and in our community and his success on the field, you know, just being willing to ask questions, figure it out, roll up his sleeves, learn. I mean, that's a hard thing to do. For anyone, much less someone who's as good at being a football player as he is. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the the humility there, because I mean, you are really starting fresh. I mean, he even admitted, like, when he was twenty one, making his first uh, angel investment, he didn't even know that was a thing, really. And so, you know, the learning curve that he's had to to come through to get to the point to be founding Fuse Venture Partners and and doing due diligence on companies is. It's pretty impressive. And I, I think you're right. You don't typically see that in a professional athlete. At least the perception is that they're arrogant and all-knowing and uh, you know, going to try to conquer the world and everything they do without coming into it with this idea of bringing knowledge. So yeah, I was, I was struck by that too. Yeah. I mean, look, look at in terms of just a template that he would lay out for other professional athletes uh, looking to get into investing. I mean- you know, he develops a relationship with John Connors and then starts as an intern and, you know, looks at deals and helps diligence deals and then decides he likes it, sees if he can add value, eventually, you know, joins their team in a you know fuller capacity and then f- founds a VC firm. <laughs> so it's, it's a, you know, what, what a, what a template and just not, you know, you have to have an incredible character, which obviously does to just commit to something like that, that process. Yeah. And we should say who John Connors is. I don't know if everybody would know who that is. He's the former chief financial officer at Microsoft. He's on the board at Nike. He was a partner at Ignition and Fuse Venture Partners essentially is kind of a spin out of Ignition uh, with some new team members, Bobby being one of them, of course, um, and very accomplished businessmen. So yeah, it was, it was interesting to see that connection, the networking that it took to, for Bobby to get into the business. I was also curious. I mean, we didn't, you know, we were, we didn't have all afternoon to talk, but just the way that he has approached the business of being a professional athlete 
you know, he's taken equity instead of cash payouts for endorsement deals. Uh, he's talked about how he sought counsel for people like Russell and Richard Sherman who have negotiated their own contracts and things. He, he's, you know, he's setting himself up for after football. He's taking a, a path that not everyone can. And it's really impressive to hear it packaged up into, <laughs> into one, uh, you know, one half hour uh, uh, interview with him. Yeah. And we weren't able to dive into it too much, but I am curious I, if I had a follow up with him, I would probably dive in a little bit more about what his role is going to be at, at Fuse and how he's going to help that firm find success and find new companies, especially as they look for entrepreneurial talent here in the Pacific Northwest, primarily in the enterprise software B2B arena. And so it'll be, I'd be curious to see how he's going to apply his, his skills in that new arena. Obviously, it's a whole nother learning curve. Anyway, that was a really fun conversation. It was great to chat with Bobby Wagner. Jordan, always great to catch up with you. Uh, For 2025, tomorrow today, I'm John Cook, co-founder of GeekWire. And I'm Jordan Voss, Senior Vice President at Northern Trust. To make sure you don't miss an episode, don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts or at geekwire.com. Thanks for listening. 2025 Tomorrow Today is produced and edited by Josh Kearns and Cypress Point Podcasting for GeekWire Studios. It's intended for informational purposes only and is not to be taken as investment advice. There may be some overlap between businesses mentioned and the holdings of Northern Trust clients, our hosts, and panelists. <laughs>